You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's what I hate about the Christian life. <laughs> it's so daily. Uh, the great challenge of the Christian life is that it is so daily. It's one thing to say no to those little crackers. But listen, the same thing that drew me to those crackers is the same thing, if you will, that drew King David to Bathsheba. Oh, one sins on one level. Thank God I just ate a few crackers. But it's the same flesh. It's the same desire. In today's message, Pastor Danny will outline one of the greatest struggles of the Christian life. The Christian life is an everyday life. It doesn't come and go as the seasons change or as the seasons in our life change. The enemy of our soul takes no rest days. The Bible says that he's like a prowling lion seeking whom he may destroy. So daily, you have to be on your guard. There are traps set before you. Lean on the Lord, and He'll keep you safe from that which you can't protect yourself from. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, as he continues his message, Sin and the Need for Godly Leadership. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. He's a grown man. He's Moses' older brother. What an amazing answer. What a ridiculous answer. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control. I underlined that. And so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side. Now this is tough to chew on, but it happened. Strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. I know, that's a tough one to chew on. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. I do think there's a message here in this literal story. The law, and those who aren't willing to repent after disobeying the law, destruction. That's where they're headed. And God uses the nation of Israel, if you will, to mete out that judgment in this particular historical account. 3,000 people died because they broke the law. And then you flash forward to Acts chapter 1 in the day of Pentecost, and now the grace of God, because the law, all the law does is condemn. 
We all have to come to the point where we realize we've broken God's law. We all have to come to the point where we realize, hey, we're stiff-necked. We're stiff-necked people. You understand that? There's no one who does righteous, not one. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we all deserve destruction. But while the breaking of the law brought 3,000 people to be destroyed, the grace of God on that day, Acts chapter 1, brought 3,000 people into the kingdom of God by the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a, what a great, great thing. The Levites did as Moses commanded. That day 3,000 died, and the Lord said, Moses said, you've been set apart to the Lord today because of the stand you took. The next day, Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They've made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book you have written. And there again, you see a heart in Moses like the heart of God. Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 9, verse 3. I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for the sake of my fellow Israelites. Another way to say it is, I'd be willing to be damned if it would save Israel, my own people. Moses so loves these people like God loves them. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. And I think the simple message there at the end of the story is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Let me just say it for us. Galatians 6, 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's quite a story. And I just want to, the last few minutes, kind of go back and look at some of the tremendous lessons we learned from this true story in the history of Israel and the man that God at this time chose to lead them Moses. And of course, not just Moses, he's the main leader, but Aaron was his second in command. Aaron was the mouthpiece before Pharaoh. Very important leader. And here are the lessons. Ought to be obvious, but we need to hear it again. We are prone to sin. James 1.14 says this, each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away. And enticed. Look with me just for a minute. Romans chapter 7. I'll be glad when one day Romans chapter 7 does not apply to my life. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree. The law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. Why? Because Christ lives in him. 
like he lives in me, like I trust he lives in you. But I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So happy I took the extra time before our vacation recently to attend the conference in Costa Mesa. I thought it was a tremendous conference. Uh, I think by now uh, the messages are online that you could go on um, Calvary Chapel. I think it's Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa's website and uh, you could get access to the messages. I would highly recommend, well, all of them are good, but two I would highly recommend if you go on and listen. One is uh, Skip Heidzik. Uh, Skip Heidzig was the best I've ever heard him. Tremendous message, tremendous message. And the last was the guy batting cleanup, and that was Alistair Begg. He taught on David the Bathsheba. He said, I don't apologize for bringing a familiar message to you as pastors. And it was so timely, and it was so anointed. And as he began, he, he talked about how he's 63 years old now as a pastor and how long he's been pastoring, and yet... Yet, he realizes what a sinner he still is and how he has to regularly fight against sin. And it was one of those messages I loved and I hated, just like I love and I hate Romans chapter 7. I was at home alone today. I don't like being home alone. I like it when at least somebody else is in the house. There's better accountability there. I feel more confident, if you will. But I was all alone today. Oh, the Lord was with me. The Lord was there. But I couldn't see him. It would have been helpful if I could see him. It's a great deterrent when you can see something physical (laughs) to help you not sin. It wasn't a big deal. But yesterday, you know, my daughter, uh, she came home and she started eating her favorite snack. Uh, what do you call these little fish, cheese, what are they called? Goldfish. I've tried to discipline myself. I've, I thought I've done a pretty good job up to this point. I, I, I've, I generally don't eat in between, in between meal snacks. And, and it's not because I don't want it. And it's such a stupid thing that happened today. But it's a great illustration for me. I had a thought after typing out some of these notes and starting to think about Romans chapter 7 and the, the sin in my members and the, the, the daily battle. <laughs> and I could swear, those little cheese crackers started talking to me from the, from the cupboard. <laughs> True. And I found myself walking downstairs, taking a break from my study, and I opened the cupboard, and there they were, staring right at me. And initially I resisted. I went back upstairs to my Bible, to my notes, And it's like I heard them calling a second time. And by the third time they called, I had opened the bag because nobody else was there. And I ate quite a bit of my daughter's favorite snack. And the stupidest thing in the world, I felt guilty afterwards. Guilty. 
I'm just thankful that there wasn't someone Bathsheba out the back somewhere, and I saw something like that. Here's what I hate about the Christian life. <laughs> it's so daily. Uh, the great challenge of the Christian life is that it is so daily. It's one thing to say no to those little crackers. But listen, the same thing that drew me to those crackers is the same thing, if you will, that drew King David to Bathsheba. Oh, one sins on one level. Thank God I just ate a few crackers. But it's the same flesh. It's the same desire. It's interesting, the first sin was committed with food. Isn't that interesting? And Eve saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. And that drew her. Very interesting. If you can't say no to the hostess Twinkie, how are you going to say no to the hostess? 1 Corinthians 15, as I bring it toward a close, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31. Here it is. Oh, I needed this. I needed this in a fresh way. I die, Paul says, every day. It's a daily battle. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you found yourself in the company that stepped over the line and is bowing to a golden calf and eating and drinking and then indulging in revelry, pagan revelry, thank God for this. The opportunity to repent after failure. After those people did what they did, Moses stood and said, whoever's for the Lord, step over the line. That was a line of repentance. Whoever wants to repent of the tremendous failure you just made, the sin you've committed, step over the line. What a great opportunity to repent after failure. Thumbing through this book that was given to me and signed, I'm not usually into signatures, but I so respect this guy. I, I'm so happy to open it and see the signature of Tony Dungy in his book, The Mentor Leader. The opening by Jim Caldwell goes like this. On Friday, November 17, 2006, two days before a big game against the Dallas Cowboys head coach, Tony Dungy, received word through our security officers that a party was going to take place and that many of our players would be in attendance. As you can imagine, once this party was publicized, it would draw a crowd of great Colts fans who wanted to be in the midst of the action, but also others who may have had different motives. The Indianapolis Colts have not many players who have run afoul of the law. And there are distinct reasons why. Number one, under the leadership of owner Jim Ursey, President Bill Polian, and Tony, the team had a policy of placing character in the forefront of the player's selection process. It was a common organizational practice to eliminate players, even talented difference makers, from consideration in the draft if they possessed questionable character flaws. Number two, the team is committed to purposeful, effective communication. Tony began most team meetings by reminding everyone to refrain from questionable, questionable behavior. 
To emphasize his point, he used an overhead projector to display newspaper clippings involving other professional athletes who had been arrested or accused of illegal activity. He highlighted the circumstances surrounding the incidents and discussed ways to avoid a similar fate. During our customary 9 a.m. team meeting that Friday, Tony warned the team about the party scheduled for that evening. He drove the point home clearly and succinctly. We do not need any distractions. We were undefeated, 9-0 to be exact, and we were traveling to Dallas the next day. As the saying goes, forewarned is forearmed. But not all our guys got the message. At the party, an altercation occurred, and one of our team members put himself in a position to be detained by the police. Though some of the details are still rather sketchy and remain unanswered, it involved a contentious exchange with a woman at the party. As you can imagine, the incident did not sit well with Tony. The violation appeared to fly in the face of his warning, and he was not amused. Tony rarely displays a visible reaction to uncomfortable situations, but if you had been around him as long as I have, you would have sensed his displeasure. On Saturday morning before our flight to Dallas, Tony met with the young man, and he later made the team aware of the incident. He said he didn't know exactly how he was going to respond, but there would be consequences. He later handled the situation privately with the individual involved. A typical leader might have tried to maintain his posture of authority in front of the team by saber-rattling and creating a scene as a deterrent, pounding on the podium, making an example of the player in response to the infraction. But Tony took an alternative approach. As long as the player got the message and learned from his mistake, Tony was more interested in what was most important for the team and the franchise. By the way, he never had another issue with that young man. Two of them share a unique bond today and they continue to stay in touch. It's great if we don't fail big, maybe just a few crackers every now and then. But the good news is even even if we do fail big, there is an opportunity to repent. There is an opportunity to learn from a mistake or failure. And to step back across the line for the Lord. One last thing, and I wanted to spend more time on this, but I trust that I've followed the Spirit's leading, so I trust I have enough time to deal with this last one. And that's the importance of godly leadership. Jesus said, things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. You know, the Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 20, as Moses is recounting these events, he says in verse 20 of Deuteronomy chapter 9, the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was going to destroy Aaron. But Moses prayed for him. Moses prayed for him. Moses, of course, a type in that way of the Lord Jesus Christ, who always lives to make intercession for us. Aaron's failure had consequences for himself personally and for the people. But thank God of the opportunity that Aaron had to be forgiven. And thank God for the intercession of Moses on behalf of his older brother, Aaron. Got so many scriptures I was going to read you. 
I'll just reference a few of them. I got them up here. Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. I won't read all of them, obviously, because we don't have the time. But Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. But then after that, verse 10, after the, that, a whole generation had been, that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And the whole point in these verses is the importance of godly leadership and what a difference they make. As long as Moses was there physically, his life, his example, his message was a deterrent. And just in that 40 days up on the mountain, his older brother Aaron so failed, so failed as a leader. Because of his failure, people went astray. You go through the judges, the book of Judges, and it says the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then God would raise up a judge, and the judge would come and have a godly influence. And it says that judge would die. And after that judge dies, died, it said they would go back to their old ways. Then God would raise up another leader, and he would have a positive effect. And then after he died, they'd go back to their ways. Listen, godly leadership is important. Important. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is Ezekiel 22. I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it, but I could not find one. In that particular day when he's speaking, he said, I looked for somebody and I couldn't find them. He's still looking for godly examples and godly leaders. Now, let me close this way very quickly. What are the characteristics of a godly leader? Uh, It might seem like I shouldn't need to put that, but I'm going to put it. He's a leader. He's a leader. Most people are not godly leaders, but rather ungodly followers. That's why Matthew 7, 13 says, broad is the road that leads to destruction because most people are going with the crowd. It takes somebody to take a stand against the broad way the way that most people are going. Take somebody who's humble. Moses was the most humble man on the earth in his day. I don't recommend the path that Moses took to reach that place because he spent 40 years on the backside of a desert. It's better just to go ahead and humble yourself than to be humble. Third, they don't make excuses for failure. Big difference in King Saul and King David. You know what it was? When Saul was confronted about his sin with the Amalekites and the subsequent sins that followed, he made excuses. He made excuses. When David was confronted by Nathan the prophet for his sin, he wrote Psalm 51, especially verses 4 through 9, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And then one last one. There are no idols. There are no idols. I forgot a last. I got another one after that. Two more after that, I think. No idols in their life. And they're willing to take a stand for the Lord, even against close friends and family. They lead, whether anyone follows or not. And last but not least, they call people to repentance. You can just write down Joshua 24. Joshua 24, Joshua is an older man. He stands before the Israelites, and he says, you can't serve the Lord. And they say, no, we will serve the Lord. He says, if you're really going to serve the Lord, get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts completely to the Lord. And godly leaders can call people to do that. Not because they're perfect, but because of their character, because of their integrity.
Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Exodus on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teaching throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just click on Sermons. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube page as well to stay up to date on the latest teachings and videos, and feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition, we'd really like to meet you in person. Come join Pastor Danny for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m., and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We will also be live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We're so glad that you tuned in, and we encourage you to keep reading. There's much more to learn in this study of Exodus, and Pastor Danny will continue exploring this Old Testament book when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.